verses 14 through 25. These are words from this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. We begin in verse 14. He writes, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. May God bless to our understanding the reading of this His holy word this morning. Amen. Well, let me just get right down to it, okay? Every day. Every day. I struggle to live the Christian life. Something is always near at hand to trip me up. Angry words, wrong thoughts, desires to get back at people, justification of my own selfish actions, egotism, vanity, greed, pride. I'm acquainted with them all. And so I resonate with the Apostle Paul when, and his struggle when he writes, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I get it. Sometimes I say to myself, self thought that was funny. Thank you. Thank you. Phil, how can you speak of the gospel out of that same mouth that you say such wrong things? And how can you pray and then just moments later be so divisive and selfish? And, and how can you say that you're a follower of Jesus and then have 
those thoughts in your mind. Paul says, did you read what he said? He keeps on doing the very thing he doesn't want to do. There is nothing more frustrating to me than the repetitive action of the same wrong. That I just keep doing it again and again. There are some things I just can't seem to shake. And I ask forgiveness. And I know that Christ forgive me. He does. But I ask God for a clean heart. And I find myself doing the same thing. Paul says it's a war that's raging within him. That's the way he puts it. He says it's a war. It's a battle. Thomas Merton in touch with his own struggle, looked inside himself, confessed to God and said, I'm a bombed out city. Many days I see the ruins and I get disgusted and I get discouraged and I get deeply disheartened. Paul gets down to the very core, I think, of human nature. Let me tell you something that your your, your, your therapist, your psychiatrist, your barista your yoga instructor, your auto mechanic may not tell you. But you have something working inside of you and it's called sin. You may think that sin is an old medieval concept left over from less enlightened times. But it's just a simplistic explanation for problems of deeper complexity. Well, it's ironic that while our culture dismisses and scorns and jokes about sin, we're becoming sicker, we're becoming more despairing and spiritually confused. We know how to kill and we know how to terrorize and put down and manipulate and ignore and abuse and be less nice to our neighbor than ever before. We're feeling worse about ourselves and we're grasping for whatever the latest theory is to make sense of our messing up and how that might work. You see, we've been told this story that we're basically good and that sin and evil are in bad people out there. We're good, but they're bad. Jesus pointed out, he says, you know, it says you shall not murder and that someone who murders is liable to judgment. And he said, but if you're angry and you insult someone, you're under that same liability. We've murdered. And Jesus says, it says you shall not commit adultery, but all you have to do is look at someone with lust and you've done the same. Don't listen to Jesus if you want to feel better about yourself. He tended to tell the truth. Of course, Augustine, many, many years ago, came to terms with this struggle within himself and how we love the truth when it enlightens us, but we hate the truth when it accuses us. And Paul says that this thing called sin is, he says, it's living within me. And the word he uses means to reside or to set up home. There's something inside of us that makes itself at home, setting up furniture, eating out of our refrigerator, staring at us across the table in the morning, and it's there at night, too. And the source of evil is it's not somewhere out there. And the problem is not in our systems. It's in ourselves. We say, gosh, society is messed up. Society is only us. There's really no them. And sin is like an infection. And It isn't a matter of trying harder. Willpower isn't going to conquer it. Some people think we can just do some societal adjustments and we can get on top of this. Paul says it is even beyond his choice. 
Sin is a power inside of him causing him to do what he doesn't even want to do. We aren't the captain of the ship. We're a prisoner on it now. Now, this struggle doesn't mean that we don't aren't capable of good. Each one of us are created in the image of God. We're created wonderfully. We're created beautifully by God. We bear the image of God. But we've missed the mark when it comes to the standards of God. We're not fully what God intends us to be. We're not as good as we sometimes think we are. And what good is in us usually is, well, it is because of the grace of God. Psalm 22, David cries out. He says, I was conceived in sin. It's not even learned. It's inherited. And it's hard for us to think of that sweet, wonderful neighbor or that church person as being sinful. But no one stands before the perfection and the holiness of a glorious God without blemish. Everyone stumbles. Everyone has their moments. And I've seen the dark side not only of myself, but some of the dearest people I'd ever want to know. This human potential to mess things up can't be managed into respectability. Though we spend a lot of time and effort, and I'm speaking probably to those of us here. We spend a lot of time trying to do that. But the first step to finding hope in the struggle is to admit it. It's to be honest about the mixed bag that we can be and How on the one hand, we want to and strive to honor Christ, and yet we are prone to failure. It's like Francis Buford says, he's done trying to arrange all the bad in him so it'll be more flattering. Or so that it tells some credible story about himself. He says, no, I am deliberately abandoning the enterprise of making sense of myself. And Paul said, I don't understand what I do. I've stopped trying to make sense of myself. Now, we can believe all the chatter about our basic goodness and our virtue, but Jesus spoke quite a bit about self-righteousness. It's interesting that while many people will point the finger at Christians and as being hypocritical, sometimes rightly so, those same people are often convinced of their own rightness in everything about themselves. Again, Uh, Francis Buford, who is a historian, by the way, in Britain, used to be an atheist, became a Christian, does some writing. He says there's a hypocritical contradiction between how virtuous we claim to be and the actual way that humans are. For Jesus, being sure that you are righteous, standing on your own dignity as a virtuous person comes precious close to being dead. If you won't hear the bad news about yourself, you can't know yourself. You condemn yourself to the maintenance of an exhausting illusion. A false front to yourself which keeps out doubt and also keeps out with it hope and change and nourishment and breath and life. If you won't hear the bad news, you can't begin to hear the good news about yourself either. If you can't sign off on your sinfulness... We don't have any need. We don't have any room for Christ. And you're on your own. And you're caught up in something that no medication, no therapy, no fitness resume, no, 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 no vacation, no spiritual discipline is going to take care of. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of our faith, 
said Paul believed not only in the doctrine of human responsibility, he believed in the doctrine of human inability. And so Paul cries out, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Wretched, he calls himself. Not complex and misunderstood. And he's not a little bit misguided. And he's not just a little off. And he's not just, well, I'm not perfect. Wretched. Now, Paul doesn't mean wretched in the sense that he doesn't think there's any capacity for good in him. That he's not capable of love and all those things. He very much wants to do what is good. He's attracted to what is good. When Paul says he's wretched, he means he's just miserable and disgusted from the struggle. It's like Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He wants to live in a certain way, but he just can't seem to get there. He is a weary warrior. That word rescue, it's a military word that has the picture of a soldier who hears his comrade cry in distress and runs to his side to rescue him from the hands of the enemy. Who will rescue us? And this is Paul's answer in what he says. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul gives thanks in this struggle. He gives thanks because he knows that God knows about his struggle. And you can give thanks to if this is your struggle because God doesn't expect you to do anything about it because you can't do anything about it. But he can and he has done something. You know, not even the best person is without the ugliness of sin, but not even the worst person is beyond the reach of God's redemption and his saving and his deliverance and his rescue. Remember, unless we're willing to hear the bad news about ourselves, we can't really begin to hear the good news. Thanks be to God that he hears our cry when we face this struggle. God has come to our side in the Lord Jesus Christ. The infection of our sin only makes us guilty before the law of God. Jesus took the guilt by giving his life on the cross. He let death conquer him so that we would not be held guilty. We were rescued by that cross. Is that too simple? I mean, no 12 steps, no Bible reading program, no spiritual stuff I'm supposed to do. That is why the cross is foolishness to the world. Very unsophisticated, very unenlightened, not very hip. The only thing God leaves us to do is to believe. And even that can be a struggle sometimes, can it? But thanks be to God that once we put ourselves in his hands, God's hold on us is a lot stronger than our hold on him. You know, Romans is a letter about what God does for us, for those of us who've known that inner struggle of trying to be good, trying to do it God's way, and we failed. It's really a letter of grace. And an interesting thing about the Paul uses 
the word that Paul uses for thanks, it is the same word as the word for grace. It is the same word that Paul uses when he says there's no distinction. Now all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, but we're justified by his grace as a gift. It's the same word Paul uses when he says we've been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've now obtained access to this grace. And we stand in that grace. In the original language in which the New Testament was written, there is a word that captures both thanks and grace. And it is the same word. It's the word that's used here. It's kind of like sometimes at the table, before a meal, we say we're going to say thanks. Sometimes we say, let's say grace. Same thing. While we were in the pit of despair, God demonstrated his grace in Jesus Christ. When human hope is exhausted, salvation is at hand. Where nothing can be expected from humanity, everything can be hoped for from God. And for that, Paul gives thanks. He says, oh, thank you. And while Paul writes of his struggle in Romans 7, he doesn't end there. Because he has been delivered by Christ Jesus. He stands in his grace. And so the very next thing he writes, if you go on to read Romans 8, is this. There is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. So that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We struggle, but we're not condemned. Read Romans. Paul goes on to write about how the spirit lives in us and in all those who hand this struggle over to Christ and choose to live by faith in him. And the Holy Spirit begins to make us more and more like Christ. Less about ourselves, more about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit takes residence and it's like he begins planting trees. And it takes a long time for those trees to grow, I know. But as we nurture our hearts and allow God room to work in us, we begin to see growth and change. And we begin to grow in love. And we begin to grow in peace. And we begin to grow in joy and kindness and those other things of God. But that doesn't happen without Him. And it happens much better with the daily walk with God. We all still fall. We all still struggle. I said I struggle every day. But trees are growing. I think the forest in my life is getting a little thicker. And I also entrust this struggle to one who's stronger than me. And actually, this awareness, you know, the struggle, it's good. I mean, imagine participating in evil and doing wrong and messing things up and having no awareness of it or not caring. You know, that's the worst state to be in. Guilt isn't all bad. In fact... It is often an instrument of self-discovery, telling me new things about parts of myself. And when we feel the rub about something we've done, that's actually good. It's a sign of the presence of the Spirit working in us. The Spirit's convicting, prodding our conscience, showing us we're wrong so that we can turn again to God. I mean, imagine driving on a road. And there's a section of the road that's caved in, that you're heading toward. It's caved in and collapsed into a crater. You want a warning sign that says, stop, 
danger ahead. Turn around. Otherwise, they just keep driving and fall off that cliff into that crater is just going to mean trouble. A life that is alert to the struggle and to its failure to fulfill all of the law of life is a life that's alive to the spirit. And for that, we give thanks. And we give thanks for God not giving up on us in our struggle. And we give thanks that God has come to our rescue. And we give thanks that he forgives and that he restores and that he heals. And we give thanks that he lifts us up when we hit the pavement face first. And we give thanks that the victory has already been won. Paul writes in another one of his letters. He says, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks that the responsibility to escape the struggle is not our own. But that God has taken the responsibility through Jesus Christ. And we live by grace. The late Episcopalian priest and writer Robert Capon, he put it like this. The life of grace is not an effort on our part to achieve a goal we set ourselves. It is a continually renewed attempt simply to believe that someone else has done all the achieving that is needed and to live in relationship with that person, whether we achieve or not. Now, if that doesn't seem like much to you, you're right, it isn't. And as a matter of fact, the life of grace is even less than that. It's not even our life at all. But the life of that someone else, being Jesus, rising like a tide in the ruins of our death. So if you know the struggle, and every Christian does, give thanks for Jesus. Give thanks for the cross. Give thanks that he's rescued you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you've done something we can never do for ourselves. And for those of us who are weary warriors, drained and exhausted in the battle to do good, we say thank you for doing that for us. Thank you for fulfilling a law we can never keep and giving us credit for it. Thank you for coming and intervening for us, for loving us, for embracing us, and for standing by us and filling us. With Paul, we say thanks be to God through you, Jesus Christ. Amen.